0: WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James. Those are love lights. How can I tell my mom and dad? Quintessential Chicago soul. Though I have to admit it, when that came out, first time I heard it, Huggy Boy in LA was playing that. Yeah, how can I tell my mom and dad that I'm in bed? And that record was so awful, I loved it instantly. It was one of those just terrific records. And I had to get a copy, of course. It was on the lock label, which at that point, I'd never heard of. And not much more after that, actually, although you're about to meet Bob Pruder, if you don't know him already and he'll fill you in. But uh, that uh, I won't say that was the beginning of my love affair with Chicago Soul, because that actually started years earlier. But when I was thinking about just some of those gems that you never hear anymore, and it was a hit, got to number 15 on the R&B charts once it was on uni, but I've, I've talked too much already. There was a book that came out in 1970 that I thought was life-changing, Charlie Gillette's The Sound of the City. And it wasn't for another 21 years that a book struck me the same way. And then I got a copy of Chicago Soul, Bob Pruder's book. I, I considered a Bible. Every time I've moved, which is too many times to count, I've made sure that it was in the car with me, just in case, you know, something was lost in the move, this book wouldn't be something that went. So it is my honor to welcome Bob Pruder. Thank you for joining us, Bob.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really pleased that you asked me to come on your show. Well,
0: the book is just great. uh, I've read it cover to cover a few times, and you filled in so many missing stories for me that I otherwise wouldn't know. So I just cherish that, and I guess I hold my breath to some extent when I ask you this question, but were you a major Chicago soul lover before you wrote this?
1: Yes, I think I was. Um, oh uh, I, um, actually started listening to soul music in 1963 and, uh, listening to the local Chicago R and B stations. And so it was like, uh, many a couple of decades before I ever wrote the book and, um, The reason I wrote the book is uh, I had this experience in Chicago listening to local uh, radio. And um, maybe listeners of radio today uh, do not realize that back in the 60s and at least into the 70s, music scenes in the major cities were quite different. Uh, the radio stations had different playlists than other stations, like in New Orleans or New York or Los Angeles. So, in Chicago, I got a a, a much larger diet of Chicago soul than I, I would in uh, if I lived in Los Angeles. Nowadays, um, radio programming is such that uh, it's homogenized across the country; everyone hears the same same songs no matter what city they're in
0: absolutely and although the mega hits were the mega hits across the board it was the lower half of those charts that made each market so unique in some cases it was a rolling hit of course where it would be a hit in chicago and then later it would be a hit somewhere else and it would stay on the charts but never get to the top of the charts but then there were all those records that were just quintessentially local hits and you mentioned uh, chicago soul stations and you know especially 63 because uh, that's about the time wvon came to be and of course wges before them but who were the personalities that really floated your boat
1: uh with um wvon uh the one personality that comes through is uh herb kent of he course. was he was actually the he was the major star of of wvon and he had the uh, early evening hours at the station, which is the prime hours for uh, uh, broadcasting to younger people. And so he was sort of like a the, the DJ for the teenagers. You know, uh, earlier in the day, they would have uh, some other DJs. Uh, and actually on, on WVON, uh, the, during the day, the uh, the big group of, of listeners were uh, – Housewives, African American housewives, you know. <laughs> sure. And uh, uh, but beginning at three o'clock after school lets out, then then the uh, program programming slightly changed. Uh, more records uh, directed to teenagers, like they would play Major lands and and uh, uh, the Impressions and and Jerry Butler, Gene Chandler, uh, Betty Everett. And, uh, but during the mornings, uh, early afternoons, um, after midnight, you could hear, uh, older music, I guess, uh, blues and, and records that sounded like, uh, rhythm and blues of the 50s because it reached an older audience. Sure. But even though I was post teenager, I, you know, uh, by the time I was heavily into uh, WVON, I liked the teenage version of the station. And that's what I was uh, weaned on.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, they they were quintessential. Formulaic, but wonderful little soul records, and all the early Curtis Mayfield stuff, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, Herb, Herb Kent, the cool gent, when he did the Wahoo Man, I loved that bit. But G O N had so many great personalities, whether it was Rodney Jones or Butterball or Lucky Cordell, or you know, so many Purvis Span uh, names just immediately come to mind. And that was uh, that was great radio. And like you say, you weren't a kid anymore. So
1: what were you doing at the time? I was going to college. And, um, uh, I, um, let's see, I, I, well, I was going to college, uh, I, I went to uh, college in the fall of '62. In '63, I discovered WVON, and, uh, I, uh, was drafted in the Army in '67. So from 63 to 67, I was, you know, listening to R&B pretty regularly. And uh, after I got out of the Army, I, I, I moved back to Chicago and uh, just resumed interest in the radio stations and the music.
0: At the time, was it even in your mind that you might one day be the major historian, and when I say that, I don't think there's a more definitive work than Chicago Soul. The major historian of this music. Did it occur to you that you might be the gatekeeper of that?
1: Not when I was first listening to it, but I, I'll tell you what: I I, I laid a, a kind of a foundation because. Um, uh, When I was listening to the station, the station didn't have, uh, didn't always have hit sheets, especially in 63 and early 64. But, uh, I kept a notebook and wrote down the songs and wrote notations on them, you know, so I could have a memory of of, of what was being played on the station that helped tremendously years later when I was doing a book and, um, uh, And so I I kept interest in this and then the reason I I wrote the book is um, uh, as I got involved in uh, reading the rock press and, uh, you know, popular music was growing in interest, you know, Rolling Stone magazine, uh, the, the daily newspapers were writing about rock groups and rhythm and blues groups And so on, uh, one of the things I noticed is, is that how, how do I say in the crossover market in, in the top 40 radio and top 40 world, um, and in the pages of rolling stone, they were only, they only had cognizance of, of two, uh, soul music centers. Well, one was uh, Motown, of course. And the other was Stacks, you mm-hmm. know. And, and I said, wait a minute, you know, there's, there, there's these other scenes, nobly Chicago, nobly New York, which had, you know, was yeah. the center of the recording industry and they had a, a lot of great recording, uh, you know, soul style recording artists. And, um, after I got out of the army in 69, um, I, um, I continued, uh, you know, buying more and more records and, and I became what you call a record collector, yeah. but I was, I was never a paper and plastic collector that is, uh, uh, some people collect records because whatever the name is or whatever the sound is, uh, you know, they, um, they, they buy it for its rarity, you know, and, and, uh, I think half the time, they don't even know how the records sound because it, it adds to their collection. Right, right. <laughs> and, but I was interested in the music, and at a certain point, I wanted to know everything about the music. And so, in effect, I became a paper and plastic collector because I wanted every single record that, you know, Major Lance did. Yeah. And every single every single record on the lock label yeah, you know? right exactly uh, and uh and that served me well because um uh i i got a full understanding of, of of the the recording careers of of all these various uh soul artists and uh uh i could see some sometimes Sometimes a, a, a really good record by these artists uh, never, never becomes a hit. And when I, when I wrote my Chicago Soul book, I made sure I mentioned, you know, those, those records because it was part of their whole, whole uh, body of work.
0: No, oh, I absolutely. We're talking to Bob Pruder. and if you haven't read Chicago Soul, you must. And I'm so pleased to find out that Bob is uh, loves the music and uh, was taken with it the same way I am. Because so many times when somebody writes something, they're they're more of a historian. But it's just uh, thrilling to me that uh, that he uh, he shares my passion. So you got any questions or comments? We'll take them 888-876-5593-8888. Raleigh on WGN Radio.
1: Las tengo play WGN Radio. I'm
0: Raleigh James and that's Chicago Soul Royalty there. Uh, Curtis Mayfield wrote it, Carl Davis produced it, Riley Hampton arranged it. It came out on 1965 on OK. It's a woulda, coulda, shoulda. Marlena Mars is the artist and I would not have known about that record if it weren't for Bob Pruder. Chicago Soul by Robert Pruder is the book and also do up the Chicago scene. Equally, uh, equally fascinating. But what I remember about this when I of course had to to look up, well, who is Marlena Mars, was a quote that is in the book attributed to Davis that he questioned his ability to record women, uh, saying, uh, you know, I'm not as successful with the guys, I don't know why, and that just stunned me. And I guess in, in chart numbers may be true, but Marlena Mars, that was a great little soul record. Now, do you remember that, Bob, from when it came out in 65?
1: I I don't think so. I I, I don't think it got played uh, uh, on WVON, and I only discovered it when I was picking up all the records related to Chicago soul. And uh, you, you're right, it's a marvelous record. It should have and could have been yeah. a, a hit if it I think uh, had the uh, if the jocks grabbed onto it like they should have. Yeah, I um,
0: can't understand that one, and as I say, it was Curtis wrote it and Carl produced it, Riley arranged it, so it had all this royalty behind it. But was Carl Davis still alive when you were researching the book?
1: Oh yes, yes. I uh, interviewed him uh, uh, several times, and uh, um, uh, there are some quotes in there from Carl Davis, and and so I I did get him. uh, He uh, died uh, not few maybe 2013 or something like that oh I I thought it was longer
0: than that I'll be darned okay
1: and um, but uh, anyway can can I recapitulate uh, something that we we discussed earlier sure Um, I I, want to emphasize that the reason I wrote Chicago soul was that I didn't feel that the, the American public uh, knew, uh, knew enough about it because it was all the concentration on Motown and yeah. and Stacks in Memphis, and I felt I needed to correct the record, <laughs> you know, yeah. of what soul music was in America. It wasn't just those two centers. Chicago had a huge role in it, absolutely. And, uh, and i really loved your taste in music you know uh, <laughs> you know, uh because you're you're playing uh, good songs that never were crossovers and e some weren't even his but perfectly represents uh the, you know the yeah. chicago sound yeah it's just, you know, it's,
0: just terrific and, So we're talking with Bob Pruder, Chicago Soul is the book, and uh, yeah, uh, if it were in another venue, I'd just like to play records back and forth all nights, but your calls are welcome as well, 888-876-5593. I'm Raleigh James, and it's WGN Radio. Love. WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James. That's the Daylighters. What a way to be loved, 1962 on Tip Top. And we're talking with Bob Pruder, who is the author of Chicago Soul, and that's not all. In fact, uh, for years, uh, R&B editor at Goldmine, and much, much more. But it was Chicago Soul that really filled in so many blanks for me, and I just, uh, I just love it. Now, with the uh, with the Daylighters, you practically need a flow chart for that group, Bob.
1: Well. Um a lo- well that's true of a lot of groups you know they they do a lot of changes in personnel sure. you know and uh uh for example the temptations you know? yeah <laughs> and uh, uh but there are there are very few groups that really kept their same personnel, and one of them were, was the Chicago dells yeah. they were you know only one change of personnel in the forty year history of the group you know and um uh and as you know the dells are big or both big in the 50s as a doo-wop group and big in the uh, 60s as a soul group and one of chicago's biggest contributions in in soul music but uh the daylighters um i by the way the the photo of the group uh on the cover of chicago soul is is the daylighters right and um the, and this is kind of embarrassing because, uh, I, I know Tony Gideon. He's, he's, uh, he was a member of the group and he's very proud of, of his photo being on the cover of Chicago Soul. But I, uh, the reason I picked the Daylighters is that the Daylighters were not well known outside of Chicago. And I, 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 and if there was only one photo on the, on the, cover it couldn't be someone like the dells everybody would think it was a dells book or it couldn't be the impressions people would think it was the impressions book or something so i had to pick a group that people didn't really know very well and and it would be sort of like a generic picture
0: (laughs) and it is it's a, it's uh, a great picture i mean the pose and everything is just perfect for the book
1: that's why they picked it, you know they they go through the photos I sent for the book, and they they decide what's gonna be on the cover yeah. and uh but I told them ahead of time uh, uh, I suggested ahead of time that uh this would be a good one, and I suggested a couple others, you know, and uh they uh picked uh that one, and I think is a great oh yeah, uh, great selection.
0: No, it, it is a great selection, and uh, and you're right, so many of these groups' members moved around, things changed, but I think the Daylighters, and they start like in Birmingham, and then they had a, a whole thing with uh, Gerald Sims and all that, and Next next thing I knew, it was Donald Jenkins doing Elephant Walk, which is just one of the most marvelous little records, and on and on, so it, it's a group that, to me, has quite the pedigree, and like you mentioned, no one outside of Chicago has ever heard of them. I know the, the morning guy at GES, Gigi, managed them for a while but they they never seem to break
1: right uh, but uh there was about uh six or seven records i remember hearing on wvon and uh i i treasured all of them i, I um um uh and i did a uh, quite a few interviews with several I, I interviewed with gerald sims who was a guitarist for the yeah. group for a while and uh uh Tony Gideon still lives in Chicago, and he's a, he's a Facebook friend, and every once in a while he posts his, posts a cover of Chicago Soul, because oh, that's, that's part of his history.
0: That's great. <laughs> and, uh, now, as a as a fan, obviously you came in with quite a lot of knowledge. And even so, when you did the research, I'm sure there were some things that really surprised you. So what were some of the gems you uncovered, either records or just facts, that you had no idea before you did this research?
1: Well, um, there was one peculiar fact that um, I couldn't quite figure out. Um, It was... um, uh, at one time, Gene Chandler. Gene Chandler started out on on VJ. Sure. And then he went to Constellation. Yep. And all the time, uh, for most much of that time, he he was produced by Carl Davis. Then uh, uh, then uh, Carl Davis went to Brunswick Records, and Gene Chandler did not exactly go to Brunswick with uh carl davis he went to chess and he and he went to brunswick and every other record was chess and then brunswick and and it was very peculiar because you're either on one company or the other uh, unless uh you were yeah. with another company earlier and they re- re- released your master right. material so what was but the so deal carl davis was carl davis was producing uh, ch- one t- month, he would produce records for uh, uh, Gene Chandler records for Chess. And the un- another month, it would be Gene Chandler records for Brunswick. So I asked him, uh, this doesn't make any sense. That isn't how record companies work. I just, and, he, and he looked at me. And he said, turn off the uh, record recorder. Turn off the, the, the tape recorder. Yeah. And then he told me a, a a long story of of mobster influence, mm-hmm. you know, uh, on 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 his company Brunswick. Mm-hmm. And uh, and what happened was that uh, the story was that the mob was going to put out a hit on one of their uh, uh, record business colleagues in Philadelphia and carl davis asked them not to put on the hit and then they said well you're the manager of gene chandler i want you to have gene chandler signed up with brunswick he said but he's with chess i can't do that he says make it work (laughs) and so so he so carl davis went to chess records and said i have this problem (laughs) and and they said, "Okay, we'll do every other one." And that—that uh, that was most. I didn't put it in the in book because he wanted it off the record. Yeah. And uh, and I kind of put, kind of indicated what what was involved in a in a, a footnote in the Chicago Soul. Now so, later on, later on, he was much for, forthcoming, but that was many years after. This wasn't that many years after right. when I interviewed him, and mm-hmm. he didn't want to get in trouble. You're right, more people had to
0: die first, but that brings up something else that I thought was fascinating, and that's the story of, and it's in your book, Roulette Records in Chicago, and uh, there, there's some there's some murky nature about uh, who was working there, isn't there? Right,
1: uh, roulette. Uh, recorded um uh a couple of Chicago artists in the uh, mid 60s with um uh the ch- uh, Chess producer um help me out now who's
0: the producer it, Chess well, Ralph Bass was going to run the operation Ralph Bass,
1: now. Ralph, Ralph yeah. Bass. Yeah. And uh and uh, uh th- this was um Henry Ford and the gifts was uh, the main group. And they they had some really nice records, you know, and um, uh, the thing was that uh, Ralph Bass was a producer at chess. And these records on on roulette were coming out with Ralph Bass name listed as producer. And and I said, how does this work? I interviewed Ralph Bass and he said, Oh, I, I never, I never mm-hmm. re- recorded uh, Henry Ford and the Gifts uh, when I was at Chess. Mm-hmm. You know, he he denied it. You know, and uh, I said, okay, whatever you say. Right, right. <laughs> but yeah. uh, he 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 was uh, while he was working at Chess Studios, um, he was working with this group, Henry Ford and the Gifts, and some some another artist. And uh, using chess studio time, I imagine, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, using his time, which was supposed to be devoted to chess, for his own outside project. Well,
0: right right, and uh, I I know the gift set on Roulette, it's Uncle Willie, and of course, speaking of Chicago, that dance is impossible to do, the Uncle Willie. Uh, I'm sure there have been injuries from people trying that, but nonetheless, of course, Ralph Bass and Johnny Pate and Raynard Miner had a role in that as well. Now, were they more forthcoming?
1: Well, I didn't ask them about that, you know, uh, you know, uh, whatever they... uh,
0: yeah
1: you know like uh johnny pate was an independent contractor you know he he could go with anybody and Raynor minor um i i don't know what his exact contractual relationship with chess was so he might be an independent contractor as well I, i i don't know
0: yeah yeah
1: but uh but uh, 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 Ralph Bass was supposed to be using his producing time at Chess to produce Chess records. Yeah, you know. but that that kind of thing happened all the time, and and uh, and uh, it was just I I just found it kind of funny how uh, yeah. uh, people were doing it so often. You
0: know. Oh, of course, of course, and uh, we're still talking at a time when this is largely a singles market and not tremendously big business, so uh, in many ways it was the Wild West. We're talking with Bob Pruder, Chicago Soul. I will take your calls, and I see Johnny from Austin wants to get in on the action. There's room for you, too. 888 876 on WGN Radio. But I'm here. WGN Radio. I'm Raleigh James. That's Liz Lands, One man's poison, 1967 on Wonderful. You had to play something from George Liener's label. And uh, what's wonderful about being on WGN is not only do I get to pe- talk to people like Bob Pruder, but I have an amazing group of people listening, including I mentioned, and he calls, Renard Miner. Welcome to WGN Radio. Thank you.
2: You know, I've caught you in the last few weeks, and I've really, you've got my interest. Yeah, how are you doing? I like hearing your music. I like oh. your style. Well, you sound good on the radio.
0: Well, this and is not I like honor. what you're
2: doing now. Bob Crew. he was the guy that in, in, interviewed me back in the 60s when I was really hot at Chess Records.
0: Yeah, so I want to know, what was the deal with Roulette
2: but the the real deal was Ralph Bass was being moved out by um Roquelle, Billy Davis. Mm-hmm. And um and Ralph he uh, he wanted me to come with him and write some, you know, music for a group that I uh, me and Rose Miller found um and that that was him report in the gifts yeah. and so what happened was that uh, i would go he was on 26th in michigan was his office and uh what we did was what i did was uh, wrote some songs like treat a knife uncle Willy and produced it too and johnny Pink was the uh arranger uh-huh. my arranger and ralph was the producer but i was producing with him because uh, you know uh, Coming from Chess Records, I was well. That's what I was doing.
0: Right. <laughs> right, Well, this this is just such a wonderful story. As I was saying, uh, when I saw the Uncle Willie dance, I mean, you can get injured trying that. Who came? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who came up with? I mean, it's hard. Who came yeah, up it was with hard. it? Yeah.
2: But but the, but Henry and them they made it up. You so I didn't. Think it <laughs> <laughs> but in- Can
0: I say hello to Raynard Miner? Absolutely. You guys talk all you want. How you
1: doing? Okay. I, I, I just want to remind you, I, I first interviewed you on a group called The Gems. That's right. And uh, uh, you gave me a very good interview, and you connected me with, uh, I forget what uh, what that girl's name was. Minnie Riperton. Them- yeah. Minnie Riperton. Well, Ripp- I discovered Minnie no, Riperton. No, no, no. You, 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 connected me with Jessica Collins.
2: Yeah, well she was in the group. Yeah, right, That's correct. She was,
1: right. Yeah, but right, Minnie. Right, yeah. yeah the, well, the, Jessica. Yes, Jessica she was in Collins. the group.
2: Yeah. And uh, and I discovered Minnie ripperton at High Park High School in Chicago with mm-hmm. Rose Miller, and we had a girl that had to drop out of the gyms, and so we needed another girl and uh to to take her you uh, know. Take the other girl's place, and what happened well, uh, many audition. The day that uh, Kennedy was assassinated, that was a real trip too. We were all in high school, and so what happened was that um, she was interviewed, and uh, we got in. The, uh, we got uh, we got the gyms weren't as successful as the the. the uh, uh, Henry Ford. They tried, but they couldn't get it off the ground. But uh, Henry, it, it, they they were pretty good. They 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 got past everything.
0: Wow. Now, is this the same gifts that later had "Love and You" in '66 on ballad?
2: No, I don't know if it is. I, I had nothing to do with them after uh, I so, went to both. Um,
1: can, can I interrupt? Yes. Uh, uh, I I think that was a St. Louis group. They weren't weren't the same gifts. Okay. Uh, uh, Reynard is correct Okay I always wonder And
2: uh, on was. top of that um, After Because uh, I was recording um, Pontella Bass And I wrote Rescue Me And Higher and Higher And yeah. We're Gonna Make It By Little Milton Who's Cheating Who Milton And then I went to uh, Motown And stayed over there For a while And did some things On the Fort Top Ross And everybody else uh, Minnie went on her way To I forgot the name of the group But uh, they were pretty cool, too. Yeah. Who? But I was so surprised to hear you on the radio, Bob, because I remember you. I was so outdone when you wanted to take an interview of me. And I said, well, you know, at that time, I was, what, real young. And I wasn't thinking about Nobody thinking about writing a book about me <laughs> in Chicago because uh, you know it was it was just something else. It was amazing, and now that and everybody that has read your book have always said well, they, got your, they got your name in the book, Bernard. You know, mm-hmm. They got your that's yeah. Well, okay, <laughs> but um, no, it was. Uh, it, it Ask me something. I, I'm trying yeah. to relate things. I'm so surprised yeah. that I caught him on the radio.
0: Oh, this this is great. And by the way, Who's Cheating Who is one of my all time favorite records, by Little Boy.
2: <laughs> yeah. great, great little song. Yeah. 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 Well, I tell you, one of my favorites was Rescue Me.
0: Oh, of course.
2: Because, because it was big, a great big hit. And, and um, uh, I'll never forget the feeling on that because it was two takes on that song. Pantala Bass and of course I was a keyboard player also and uh, the, <laughs> the first time we did it the first take we did that it, when it went dun 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 when well, i hit the wrong note dun, dun, oh. dun, and we had such a great feeling and i said no 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 no, start it all over again and billy roquel billy davis he counted it off again and we had the same pocket even a better pocket and that's so you knew after we did this song um it was like yeah maybe Twenty seconds of silentness, you could not even... The room was so filled with electric, you just couldn't... You couldn't imagine it. You know, you just... If you, if you could hear a pin drop, you couldn't hear a drop. Yeah.
0: It is a great, great record. I also love that duet she did with Bobby McClure, Don't Mess Up a Good Thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if I did that or not. I so <laughs> many things I did with Pontella. Yeah. And yeah. Bobby Hutton.
0: Well, you've uh, you guys have ended the hour now. If you will hold on, Renard, I want to get your phone number because I want to have you on some Friday, or some Monday night, if you'll do it. No problem. Okay, thanks. And uh, Bob, I'm going to impose on you. Do you mind staying after the news? I know Johnny and Austin wants to get some questions in. I have a few other people who do as well. If you if you don't mind, I'd sure appreciate it. Sure. Okay, and I promise not to keep you too long. I won't uh, won't hog you all night. I won't do that. And then after that, of course, we'll play trivia, as we do on Monday nights. And uh, it's the last votes on the world's worst hit records as well, you know. All they have to be is hits. I don't care about genre. I don't care about year. I've been compiling the list, and it's mostly been email votes. I've gotten oh probably a 1,000 email votes and probably 30 phone calls, so maybe we can reverse that tonight. All that and more coming up right here on WGN Radio.